0: Luke 1, verses 5 to 25, the birth of John the Baptist foretold. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and both were getting on in their years. Once, when he was serving as priest before God and his section was on duty, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. Now at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah saw him, he was terrified, and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink, even before his birth he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, how will I know that this is so? For I am an old man and my wife is getting on in years. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak until the day these things occur. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered at his delay in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he could not speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary He kept motioning to them and remained unable to speak. When his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she remained in seclusion. She said, this is what the Lord has done for me. When he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Bow our heads to pray. Father, we pray that you would prepare us in heart and mind to receive the Lord Jesus. And we pray this Advent season would be for us a time of refreshing, of renewal, in faith, in love, in trust in our Lord Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Good. So we're looking at uh, we're looking at uh, this story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Uh, but before I go into that, I want to look first of all at the first four chapters, first four verses of Luke chapter one, page sixty, page what's page sixty. You might like to just have a look at it uh, because these are these verses are interesting because uh, particularly at Christmas, I think we can ask ourselves. How do we know about all this stuff? We know all these stories about angels and stars in the sky and virgin births and wise men. How do we know all about it? How can we, is this just a nice story? I remember once after a Christmas service at a university, this man came up to me and said, yeah, it's a lovely story, you know, meaning it's a nice story, but of course it's all works. It, all it didn't really happen. And Luke knew about these questions, so he begins his gospel this way. Let me read verses 1 to 4 since many have undertaken to set down an orderly account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed on to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So Luke's telling us that what he's writing is from eyewitnesses. It's not just any old stories that you may have heard about some time ago. He's spoken to the actual people who were there at the time, and they said, this is what I saw, this is what happened. He goes on, I too decided, after investigating everything carefully from the very first, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Theophilus is a a sort of a dear reader, an imaginary person he's writing to. So he says he's investigated everything. He's not just taken for granted what people have told him. He's actually tried to do his best to find out and explore and uh, interrogate people. He says so that, verse 4, you may know the truth concerning the things about which you've been instructed. So Luke is not dealing with just so stories that may have been nice to believe in, but we don't really know what happened. He's telling us the truth uh, about the things that have happened. He's saying these things really happened uh, and he's done the investigation to find that out. So he's not just a simpleton passing on stories, he's an investigative journalist uh, trying to find out, tell the truth what's happened. So let's go on with what the story he tells. And if you're telling a story or trying to get people's attention, there's two ways to get people's attention. You can see this in Christmas adverts. Uh, One is the big splash. Uh, You know, you focus on some celebrity, the John Lewis advert with Elton John, you know, someone everyone knows about, you get people's attention with that. Or particularly you see in cosmetic adverts, impossibly glamorous-looking women and men and people well-dressed and so on, you know, really expensive surroundings. You know, you begin with a really big, impressive splash. Or the other way, you go the opposite way, you show very ordinary people in ordinary homes, uh, often they speak with regional accents, and the advertisers saying, these are people just like you. They use this product, you can use it too. Two different ways of doing it. Uh, and if you think about it, John's gospel begins with a big splash. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You can't begin bigger than that, can you? That's how John begins the gospel. Luke goes the other way says, in the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. It begins with this ordinary guy called Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. Uh, And they're very ordinary people, people we can identify with. We're told in verse 7 that they were both getting on in years. So I'm there right away, you know, these are old people. I like this story, you know, it's good. And it's interesting in Luke's Gospel how often he features old people. Chapter 2, when Jesus, as the baby, is presented in the Uh, temple, it's a... Anna and, uh, what's the other guy? Uh, Simeon, Anna and Simeon, yeah, Anna and Simeon. All people who acknowledge Jesus as the Lord. So it begins with a story about elderly people. It begins with a story about people with problems. Uh, And again, all of us have problems in different sorts of ways. I can identify with this problem because he says that uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth were old. They had no children. Uh, And my wife and I had to wait a very long time for a child. And, you know, I thought the boat had sailed. We weren't going to have any Praise God we did, just like them. But it's, it's a common problem. And in those days, it was a much bigger problem, as in many societies in the world today, because if a woman didn't have a child, uh, she, she was, you know, there was something wrong about her. She displeased God in some way. It wasn't just a sad thing for the family, it put a shadow, a cloud over that family, over that woman. That You know, you've got no children. What's wrong with you? Uh, and at verse 25, at the end of the story, Elizabeth says that God has taken away her disgrace. Uh, It was a disgraceful thing not to have a child. So they'd got this very serious problem. uh, You know, we all may not be our problem, but we all have problems that we face in different ways. Uh, And then, thirdly, we're told, uh, and maybe I can't identify as much with this as I'd like to, but in verse 6 we're told that they lived blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. They were godly, decent, good living people. We should all aspire to that, even if we don't actually quite get there. Uh, and we're told elsewhere that they lived out in the hill country of Judea. So as you read this passage that we've just had, we're looking at now, uh, maybe think of the archers. You know, I don't know if you listen to that re- program on the radio. I used to have to listen to it as a child, which I resented. But it's an every story of, everyday story of country folk. You know, just ordinary, simple, humble country folk. It's their story. Nothing glamorous, nothing special. They're not celebrities. They're just ordinary people. And it's typical of Luke's gospel as you go through that time and again, he writes about, uh, he includes people who are poor, people who are marginalized. Lots of stories about women because in those days, women were very marginalized. So Luke begins with the ordinary. That's the people we're reading about. As I say, ordinary, everyday, humble folk, Zechariah and Elizabeth. What's the story? Well, Zechariah was a priest uh, and that's not like being a priest nowadays. Priests then were all descendants of Abram, uh, and they were divided into 24 groups. There would have been about 20,000 priests maybe, 700 or 800 in each group, uh, and twice a year for a week they would go up to Jerusalem, and they were responsible for the worship in the temple. That was the priest's job. Uh, they just did it uh, twice a year, uh, and you can imagine there were lots of them. Uh, they were fortunate there were more people than there were jobs to do, uh, so a lot of them wouldn't have done anything very much. But the lucky ones, they'd draw lots, and they would have the very privileged job of offering the incense at the end of the temple worship and sacrifice. Uh, that was a big thing to do. Uh, you draw lots to see who'd get this privilege. If you did it once, that was it. You could never do it again. You could only do it once, and many people didn't even do it once. But you could actually light the, be there alone in the inner sanctuary, lighting the incense of worship to God. Great, great, great privilege. And we're told uh, that this is what happened to Zechariah. This once-in-a-lifetime big moment. So you get to verse 10 in the story. It says, now at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people were praying outside. Imagine you're in Zechariah's shoes. You're this elderly man, very ordinary humdrum man from the country. It's your big moment, the biggest moment of your life, the thing you're going to tell your children about if you have any, that you entered, that you lit the incense in the temple in worship, in the inner sanctuary. You're there all on your own in the presence of God. It's a big, big moment. And you can feel a sense of honor and privilege and pride. Zachariah's chest swelling with joy that he has this honor of offering the worship to God. And there you are on your own, in the temple. You're praying to God. You're praying that God will restore Israel, restore them to their greatness as a nation. Maybe you also have the confidence to pray that God would give you a child and would bless you with a child. And then, bang, there you are. Next to the altar is an angel. An angel appears to you in the temple. And uh, you're face to face standing with this angel. The angel speaks. He says, your prayers have been answered, You've uh, have been heard. You and your wife are going to conceive a child and have the great joy and gladness of presenting this child to God, who not only is your child, longed for child, he's a special child. He's going to be the one who is the forerunner of the Redeemer of Israel. In the Old Testament, it promises in Malachi that before the Messiah comes, God would send a forerunner Like he sent Elijah before God to prepare the way for the people. And your child is going to be that person. It's a great, great privilege that God is going to make you the father of this person who will go before the Messiah, the forerunner. Uh, And so, uh, verse 17, uh, the angel says, With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before the Messiah to turn the hearts of of parents to their children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Great, great privilege that the angel tells Zechariah that he has. Uh, How does Zechariah respond? Well, in verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know that this is so? For I'm an old man and my wife is getting on in years. That's uh, Zechariah's tentative response. And the angel, well, to put it mildly, he is not impressed with this reply of Zechariah. Look at what he says in verse 19. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I've been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute and able to speak until the day these things occur. I'm Gabriel, and you've doubted my word. You've doubted the word of God. I wonder how you feel that for Zechariah at this point, at this point in the exchange, he's had this amazing news that he's going to be the father in old age of this amazing child who's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah, uh, and he says, "How can I be sure? You know, he's, he's, you know, is this really so? How can I trust this?" Uh, and I think if I'd been Zechariah's shoes, I might, have, might well have had the same sort of questions and queries: "How can I be sure about this?" But as I say, the angel is not impressed. Uh, and on second thoughts, I think this wreck reaction of mine to be a bit sympathetic to Zechariah says something not very good about me do I really trust in God do I really believe God answered my prayers do I believe that God does great things or do I say well hang on a bit I'm not quite sure about this I want to think a bit more that's what Zechariah does and so it raises the question I think for all of us how seriously do I listen to God how well have I learned to recognize when God's speaking to me how much do i actually trust what god says and believe it and act on it you see zechariah was a blameless obedient servant of god servant of god but when it came to the crunch he found it very hard to have complete confidence in what god has promised uh, and that's uh, that's that's a weakness that's a fault this is what james the brother of the lord jesus says in his letter uh, in james chapter 1 verse 4 He says, if any of you is lacking in wisdom, ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to you. But ask in faith, never doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For the doubter, being double-minded and unstable in every way, must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. So fess up there, be honest with yourself. Am I a doubter like this? Do I actually doubt God's promises? Do I doubt God's word? When I pray, do I, am I really confident trusting in God? Or do I think maybe? Uh, because J- James there is saying, if you doubt, if you, if you have these hesitations, then you're not going to receive what God, what, what, what God wants to give you. You need that wholehearted trust and confidence in God that comes before God and trusts him. So what do you and I then learn from this story of Zechariah and Elizabeth? I think the first thing is, do the right thing and keep on doing the right thing. They obeyed God. They lived good lives. They worshipped God. They were, and everyday, ordinary Christian living is pleasing to God. So all of us here, pray for God's kingdom to go, come, for God's will to be done. Love your neighbour. Love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. That's the sort of basis. That's the platform of Christian living. That's what we're all called to do. Uh, and as we do those things, God is pleased as we join in the regular weekly worship of of, discipline of Christian worship, as we come together, as hear God's word and praise God and confess our sins, God's laying that foundation of faith and stability in our lives, which God honors. So never despise the routines, the everyday small things of being a Christian. That's what builds faith. Great we're here today to hear God's word and to praise God. That's what God calls us to. That's what Zechariah and Elizabeth did. They did the basic, central things of faith, of trust and obedience to God. And they were blameless before God. God honors ordinary people. That's what Luke is saying. And he hears our prayers. That's the first thing to learn from Zechariah and Elizabeth. Just do the the basic things well. Just live lives of trust and obedience to God. But secondly, over against that, don't rule out God doing extraordinary things in your life. Maybe Zechariah got so comfortable, so complacent in his everyday life, that when he has this very extraordinary, out-of-the-ordinary meeting with the angel, he doesn't know how to handle it. He He hasn't got a faith to cope with the extraordinary, with God doing something remarkable and outstanding in his life. Because, friends, we have a faithful, everyday God, but we also have an almighty, if I can say it, an unusual God, a God who can do extraordinary, remarkable things. And he can do remarkable, extraordinary things in my life and in your life. We need to wait and be ready for that. So never think that you're too ordinary or you're too insignificant for God to use you in extraordinary ways. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what God's got in store for you. He used the very ordinary Zechariah or Elizabeth to be the parents of a very extraordinary John the Baptist. And in what amazing ways can God can use you Maybe uh, God wants you to start praying for something that seems just as unlikely as lizards having a baby. But pray for that and trust God without doubting that God is going to do those things as God lays it on your heart to pray for this. Maybe God wants to call you into a new way of serving him that frightens you. And you think, I could never do that. You find it hard to believe what God's saying to you. But God's calling you to serve you in a new and unexpected way. Maybe God wants to take you out of your quiet, straightforward life and throw you into the spotlight in some way that you find threatening. Maybe God wants to do something amazing in your family. Zechariah's son, John the Baptist, had his head chopped off by terror. It wasn't a nice ending. It's not a nice thing for for parents to know happened to their son. But God worked in that extraordinary way through their child. So never be... Never rule out what God may want to do in your life that startles you and surprises you and makes you a bit afraid. how it happens. Listen. said at the beginning of this service that this is uh, Advent, the beginning of the church's year, uh, and it's four weeks before the coming of Christmas to actually just step aside from all the rush and the franticness and to be quiet and to wait in the presence of God. It's a time to be prepared to meet with that baby of Bethlehem. As he lives and is alive today, it's time to be prepared for him to return as our judge, the judge of all people. It's a time to be still and to be quiet and to wait and watch for God. And so as we come to the Advent season, uh, be quiet. Be prepared to take time to listen to God, to know what God wants to say to you. Maybe that will just be a time of refreshment, of deepening, of growing in your faith. Maybe, just possibly... Just possibly, it's a time when God wants to do something extraordinary in your life, like he did with Zechariah and Elizabeth. A time when God wants to pull you out of your comfort zone and do something really remarkable. The future belongs to God. We can't predict it. We can't say what's going to happen. But this Advent, be quiet, be still. Do the, right, do the ordinary right things of worship and obedience and trust. Live, lame, live blamelessly before God as best you can, like Zechariah and Elizabeth. But also... Unlike Zechariah, be prepared for God to surprise you, for God to do the unexpected in your life, because you never know what God wants to do with you. Let's bow our heads to pray. Father, we thank you for saints like Zechariah and Elizabeth, for their faithfulness, for their blamelessness, for their readiness to serve and follow you. May we be like them. But may we too be people who are ready for the unexpected. People ready to hear your voice. People who trust you when you say to us remarkable things. Lord, give us that wholehearted faith and trust in what you say to us. In Jesus' name.